You may not have recognized what was going on there, but that was uh, some shots from the Go Weekend, which we're doing as regularly as we possibly can, maybe quarterly, just opportunities to be connected with other churches around the city, uh, join together, and many of you did that uh, in force, uh, even uh, down on the Near East Side with uh, Reverend Brown uh, and his church and all that happened down there. It was a phenomenal turnout. I'm so grateful uh, that you were able to be out there in some form or fashion uh, the last few weekends. Is that rain? Is it pouring out there? Yeah. Come on, Jesus. Rain down on us. So uh, thanks for being here. I, I really, it's really, as we all <laughs> come to appreciate, even with even greater uh, force, what, how great it is to be together. And even if you're online, we're super glad you're here. Uh, maybe you're downloading us sometime in the future. However you uh, choose to be a part of this gathering when we gather uh, we consider you family. Thank you so much for being here. Hope you experience God. I hope you already have. Uh, I hope you're sitting on your seat, um, on the edge of your seat, um, expecting God to move in some way. I don't, I don't know where you are precisely. I don't know what you need. Uh, I don't know if you need your, uh, your intellect fired up a little bit. I don't know if you need your heart uh, uh, touched. Um, maybe you just need to learn something. Maybe you need some practical help on, on how to love others better. Any of that, all good. I hope that and pray that God will do something personal for you today. If you've got questions, uh, please ask. There's all sorts of ways you can get in touch with us. Just email us, send us a text, do something. We'd love to answer your questions. Uh, if you're a part of this uh, family, uh, please give. Uh, maybe, I, it's probably not best thing to say, I'm going to say, maybe now more than ever, your consistent sacrificial giving uh, is important. There, there might have been a day in the past when uh, you uh, uh, missing a week or uh, coming short of what God has compelled you to give, maybe in the big scheme of things didn't matter so much. But in today's world, I can assure you, uh, your giving matters, and we're on the we're on the cusp of uh, 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 landing an opportunity of a physical site in the northwest. We will be making some counter offers and negotiating some things in the coming week. Um, very excited about that opportunity, and uh, I would love to go into it with not just uh, faith but confidence uh, that you are in. Uh, the process as well. So uh, I mean to say from the bottom of my heart, your, your giving to what God's doing here matters a ton. If you're looking for connection uh, or encouragement on a more personal level than what you're able to gather, even in a gathering like this, help, let us help you find a group of friends. Um, that, that's the best way to do it. A small group uh, of Christians that are committed to one another um, uh, let us help you with that. There, there's some ways we can, we can help you. If you're around long enough and you get involved in different ways, you'll find your way to friends, but we can expedite that. Lastly, I, there's probably no one here that I can thank directly, but uh, the kids' community staff and volunteers, many of you have worked tirelessly to bring about what is happening starting today, which is all kids, all kids, all services from today forward, which is months ahead of what we thought. So, uh, thank you. And for the production team, I don't know if you realize, but the stuff that used to be in our way is way up there now. <laughs> it's way up in the top. And they have been working like crazy, climbing around like monkeys uh, to make this space seem a little bit uh, more conducive. Uh, many, many thanks. So here we are 
uh, recounting. For whatever reason, we decided to go backwards in the book of Romans from 16 to 1, which coincides with what was then the 16 weeks counting down to September 12th, where we're just going to celebrate all that God's done for the last 18 months, maybe more. There's a lot that we that, that has been discouraging about the last 18 months. There's, a, there's been a lot of trauma, a lot of loss. But God has done some wonderful things in you, uh, with the church in general. Um, and he's built some new connections, some new partnerships, some new passion even for what's going on in our city. And we want to celebrate all of those things, which we will. And if all goes well, which is like... 10 weeks away, right? You can just, you can figure this. Like, are you doing the math? We're on Romans 10. That means just September 12th is 10 weeks away. Get it? It's been extremely helpful to me. Because <laughs> my, my prime, one of our primary goals for the last many months is we need a facility in the Northwest. <laughs> and so I've done what I've learned is the best thing for me to do as a lead pastor. I used to just get in and do it all myself, and that's not really all that helpful. So now I just say, hey, Chris, <laughs> our executive pastor, get a building in the north. And they're doing phenomenal work. We're going to have it. We're going to be celebrating in two sites September 12th by faith. We're going to do it. I hope you have that on your calendar, September 12th. Let's celebrate. So here we are, recounting backwards. We're on week 10, and we're going to talk about righteousness all within this context of being established in Christ. You know, it's always good to begin with the end in mind. I had no idea how instructive it would be to start in chapter 16 in the study of Romans. In Paul's, you know, goodbye, his, his salutation at the end of the... Uh, is it, uh, can you have a salutation at the end of a letter or is that only at the beginning? What would it be called at the end? What is that called? A goodbye. He says, now to him who is able to establish you. To him, speaking now clearly, if you've read the book of Romans, of Christ. Now to him, Christ, who is able to establish you. I, I don't know if, if you travel with the idea consciously or even at a level where you fully understand, but... Our souls and our lives and our very beings want to be established. We don't want to be unmoored. We don't want to be disconnected. We don't want to be floating about. Of course, we, we like our freedoms, but there is something deep within us that wants to be anchored. And Paul is saying, in Christ he is the one who can establish you. He's the one that secures your adoption into God's family. He is the one that gives you solid, emotional, intellectual, spiritual ground to stand on. He is the one that gives you inner peace, spiritual depth, a hopeful outlook, a clear vision, true meaning, compelling purpose, sincere compassion. The book of Romans is about being established in Christ. We're not just studying a letter to understand what it means. 
We're reading what God has secured for us and, and kept for us over millennia time. This, this writing, this piece from, from a man who was connected deeply with the mission of Jesus. And he spoke the truth. He says that Jesus can establish you. We're reading this letter to be established. Is that your posture? To, to be reestablished in Christ, to be secure, to be solid. Paul's reintroducing us, or maybe introducing you for the first time, to Christ and all things Christ. And in chapter 10, we're looking at the aspect and the concept, the idea of righteousness. Righteousness. Particularly, yours. And mine, ours. Your individual righteousness is what Paul is talking about, in, particularly in Romans chapter 10. Arguably, the entire book. Here's my question for you. Hey, I know I'm counting down, from, from, to, and I have 20 minutes and 48, 47 seconds left. Where did that start? Oh, I have 30 minutes now. Okay, all right. Let's keep moving. Here's my question for you. Are you righteous? (laughs) Are you? Feeling righteous? Not self-righteous. Are you righteous? Can you name someone who is? Maybe your answer to that is no. Can you name someone who is righteous? Do you know anybody who's righteous? Anybody, a spouse, anybody's spouse just leaping off the page is righteous? Sometimes. How about a child, a friend, an authority figure? Do you know anybody who is righteous? It's a theological concept that's um, relevant and, and, and part of really every major religion. And here's what it implies. It implies that, a, uh, if not means, a person's actions have been judged, calculated, you could say, by their God to be pure and provable. Righteousness is a state of being morally correct and justifiable. It can, be, it can be shown to be true. A quality of life that is pleasing to God and justifiable, able to be shown. Is that you? Pleasing, your life pleasing, morally pleasing to God? Do you have an inarguably good and beautiful Life in God's eyes. Are you an A-plus Christian? I would love to know what your answers to that question are. Most of the answers to that question are, um, no. (laughs) The best answer that we can come up with is, well, kind (laughs) of. I hope so. I'm trying. I'm really trying. Think this through. 
Ernest, like, try to stop and think this through for a second. If you're not righteous, what is it that you imagine you should be doing or not doing that would make it so? Can you think of what it is like? What about your life when you say, no, not righteous, not justifiably morally good and beautiful? What would make it so? Where, where is the error? Where is the misfire? Where is the, ha- the bad habit? Where is the lack of good? Where is it? We have just about everything we need in chapter 10 of, uh, in the fir- really in the first four verses of chapter 10 about righteousness. I'm going to read those first few verses to you. I don't think they're popping on the screen, so just try to hang with me. I'll give you a little commentary, too, as we go. So this is Paul talking to the uh, church in Rome, the first church in, uh, in Rome. He says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Paul's thinking about his brothers and sisters in Christ, and he's thinking about his brothers and sisters that are Jews the vast majority of which have rejected Christ and the message of Christ. And he is saying, I so deeply desire for my Israelite brothers and sisters that they would be saved. And I don't know how many Jews are reading Paul's letter to the church in Rome, but if they did, they would be utterly offended by this statement. The Jews are the people of God. They are chosen. They don't need to be saved. They are the people of God. They they are chosen by God and they have been given the law of God so they know exactly how to be morally upright. And they expanded that Mosaic law to include, include over 600 other commands of which they were fully committed to living out. And if they were to fail in some element of that law, they had a system in place to atone for it, to make amends for it. So in the end, they were chosen by God. They were living out the law of God. And where they were not able to live out the law of God, they made up for it and were forgiven through a system of process. And so they were the saved. So when Paul says, oh, if only the Jews could be saved... This would be abomination. They would hate that. Paul says, I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal isn't based on knowledge. (laughs) He's just... Yeah, you're, you, you're excited about God. You're very zealous for God. But your whole basis for your zeal isn't based on the truth. They think they're in good standing with God. They think their zeal is acceptable and noteworthy in God's eyes. They think they are right where they ought to be. They think God is proud as punch of them. But Paul says, and because they 
don't know the righteousness of God and instead sought to establish their own righteousness. I'm interjecting. That's what he's referring to back to the righteousness. They did not submit, submit to God's righteousness. They did not know the righteousness of God. And they established their own right. They would say, no, we didn't establish our own righteousness. God gave us the law. We're just obeying it. It's not ours. It's God's and we're obeying it. And Paul is saying, no, you don't understand the righteousness of God. You think because you understand the law and that you obey it, you think that has to do with righteousness and it does to some degree, but it is not where God's righteousness comes from. In these few sentences, we find two things that keep us from righteousness because God wants us to be righteous and we see two things that distance us from God's righteousness, his approval, his justification of us. Two things that distance us and two things that bring us closer to righteousness. Two things that keep us and two things that bring us. First, I'd like to mention that Paul is genuinely hurting on behalf of his fellow brothers and sisters, his fellow Jews. He's being hard on them. He's telling the truth, but he truly, deeply cares about them. He knows. He's been a part of that. For many millennia, this group of people has sought God genuinely and zealously, and they have anticipated a Messiah And he came after all of this that they've been through. And they missed it. They missed him and they missed the message. He is broken hearted for them. Generation after generation after generation after generation anticipating the Messiah. He shows up and they miss him. He says, I would, I would offer to be cut off from Christ if it could bring around my people to him. Listen, listen to how he communicates this in, in actually Romans chapter nine. I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. I do it. Those of my own race, the people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises, the patriarchs, all of this is traced. The human ancestry of the Messiah himself is attributed to my people and they missed them. He's like, I am broken hearted, but he says they are zealous for God but their zeal is not based on knowledge. They are passionately going about their pursuit of God, his righteousness, but they're on a wild goose chase. They're working hard at something, but they don't know how wrong they are in their pursuit of being right. Their zeal and their work is in vain. It cannot get them to the place of righteousness. It's not God's way.
Here is the anguishing part of this, this for us. The church is at risk of being the Jews. The church itself, the place that is to be defined by Christ, oftentimes is not. The church can be the very thing that Paul that is breaking Paul's heart about his people. They can be very zealous and very excited and very passionate about things of God and mistakenly think that equates to our good standing before God and not only the church, but Christians themselves are zealous for the righteousness of God, but have gravitated away from God's righteousness. Think about it. What did you conclude would be needed in your life to be a A plus Christian? Unless you already know the twist to the story, you would answer some kind of thing to do or to stop doing. Some kind of law, some kind of godly, truly godly obedience or the stopping of some ungodly disobedience. This is where our mind goes. Why are you not an A plus Christian? I bet you have a sense in your life of the roller coaster ride of feeling or being close to God and not. Any hands on that? I'm close to God. I'm not close to God. I'm close to God. I'm not close to God. And what is at the core of that? Your performance. Your behavior. Right? I went, a, I, went, I went two weeks without studying the Bible at all. I, I went a month without going to church. Uh, I, I forgot to, to give. I, I, didn't, I didn't forgive. I, I should have done this. I keep sinning in this way. All of that stuff comes together. And if it comes together in a way that, that, that adds up to something g- good in your eyes, you feel close to God. We are, we are zealously after the affirmation of God, the righteousness of God, the justification of God. But it is almost always about our performance. Do you ever find yourself comparing your life to another Christian? <laughs> Why? Two reasons. One, if I can find a Christian who's doing worse than I am, that's helpful. But I also know if I, can, if I can find the example or the model and I can live up to that, then maybe God will love me as much as he seems to love that person. How do you assess the Christianity of another person?
How do you assess the righteousness of another brother or sister in Christ? What grid do you use? Are there or are there not behaviors in our society right now that we would look and say, no, if that is your behavior, if that is who you are, if that is who you're with, if that's who you're aligned with, you're a hypocrite, you're not a Christian. We use a performance basis for everything in this world. And we put God into that same space. Thing number one that keeps us from the righteousness of God is performance. The performance trap. And it is almost impossible to escape that trap. We are born and bred into it. We are raised by it. We teach our children to perform. Thank you, by the way, for doing that. It's one of the worst things in the world to be around a child that will not behave. Same with Christians. We need to behave. We should obey. It is good to work hard. It is good to be zealous. Should we work hard? Should we obey God? Should we put off sinful behavior? Should we do what's best for others? Should we quit bad habits? Start good ones? Should we pray constantly? Practice eye-popping generosity? Should we clean up our language and stop compulsively shopping? Should we stop venting and throwing stones on Instagram and highlighting ourselves on Facebook? Yes, yes, yes. We should. But when and if we connect our significance, our value, we are ignorant, Paul says, of where your righteousness comes from. When we operate as though our performance leads in any way to righteousness in God's eyes, we are the very people Paul is in anguish about. You have an idea of what righteousness is. You have some idea of what God wants from you. You have some idea what moral living looks like. You have your own standards. They may not be God's, but you have standards. And you fail, like I do, at even those. Right? Here's my line. I crossed my line. I saw you cross your line. Yeah, it's okay. I'm back in. God loves me. It's okay. There's grace and mercy. So this is your line? Yes, this is your line. You just crossed over your line. I know, I do it all the time, but that's my line. I'm trying, okay? We fail. And when we fail at our own righteousness or God's, whatever grids you have, we end up right in the middle of the second thing that keeps us from actual rightness in God's eyes. Self-deception. Everyone suffers from self-deception. 
Have you ever been shocked at a performance review? The boss ever say, here's, uh, here's your performance review, and uh, this is where you're coming up short. What? What? Not true. So this guy's a moron. This guy's no ability to assess performance whatsoever. But if you could look around at all, your, all the other employees, they'd be going, nah, he's got it right, actually. We just, we just don't see it. I would love to take you through this quiz that I came across like 20 years ago. It's in a, a book, uh, I think it was called Decision Traps. And this guy's giving the example, he uses this management tool where he gets a team together and he says, I want to show you how, well, I don't know if he says it outright, but he says, I want to show you how overconfident you are in yourself, particularly in your, in your knowledge of things. And he says, I want you to give the answers to the following seven, eight, nine questions, but you don't have to get it exactly right. I want you to give me a range for the answer, but I want that range to make it that you were like 90% sure that the answer is within that range. Does that make sense? Just give me a range. So we'll say, okay, how old was uh, Martin Luther King when he died? Okay, you don't have to nail it. Just give me a range that you're 90% sure you're going to be right. How long is the Nile? How many countries are in OPEC? What's the moon? diameter. How heavy is a 747 without people, right? How, how, what, when was Mozart born? And don't, you don't have to nail it. Just give me 90% confidence. And it's like, he's done thousands and thousands. I've done that test a long time ago to dozens and dozens of people. And the, 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 the answers, the conclusions are crazy. Everyone's still wrong. It's like people get like one or two out of 10 with a 90% confidence range. And, the, and it shows we just are way too confident, way too arrogant about what we think we know, even when we're saying, I'm 90% confidence. Okay, why wouldn't you just say uh, somewhere between zero and 100 for Martin Luther King's age? Right? Be, because even in, the, even in the range, we're trying to show how smart we are. If you put down zero and a hundred, the whole room's going, oh, good for you. You're so smart. So you go, oh, I'm going to get it real. 90, I'm 90% sure. And it's out here. Oh, you know. Like we just, I can't tell you. I had a friend that was deeply, sadly entangled in, uh, let's just say, promiscuity. Purity issues. Everybody saw it. He didn't see it. And finally it was like, his friend's going to, you got to get some help, man. She's so like, okay, whatever. So he agrees to go to this, like, I don't remember, like six week, go away, this, uh, special retreat uh, space, experts and some mentors. And he comes back and he says, really the first, like the first conversation I had with the, my mentor I literally said to him, um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't know why I'm here. And the mentor said, yeah, that's the problem. You don't see it. He said, here's what you're going to, before you go any further in this whole process, you're going to have to accept the fact that you don't see right. You think you see right, but you don't. You're self-deceived. 
Romans 10, verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. God has a standard for righteousness and he has a solution for our unrighteousness, which would be the stubborn, unsolvable sinfulness of our heart. Right? His standard for righteousness isn't just our behavior. This was one of the most radical teachings of Jesus. He said, listen, I I know Moses said, don't murder. This is in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 7, 8. Moses says, don't murder. I'm telling you, don't be angry. And if you are angry in your heart, you have murdered. So what does the Christian do? What does the Christian do that's, that's aiming for righteousness? When they're angry in their heart, what does a good Christian do? Doesn't show their anger. They behave. And they say, look, that's righteousness. I'm angry in my heart, so I don't show my anger. And Jesus is saying, uh, hey, you're not listening to me. I said, don't be angry in your heart. That's my standard. Same with lust. Same with greed. I don't want you to just not be greedy. I don't, not, not, not behave. I don't want you to want more than what you have. How y'all doing on that? How many don't want more than what they have? Well, I'm getting to the point where that's true because I, I, I don't have a, I can't keep track of it anymore. I really don't. <laughs> There's this lady at Speedway. She blows her mind every time I go in there because if you buy a piece of pizza, you get the second slice for free. And I say, I don't want it. She goes, it's free. And I go, I don't want it. I don't need it. It's free. I know, but I just want one slice of pizza. You can't even get her head around that. What is it? No, you, you must take it more if it's free. No. What's wrong in your heart? If it's wrong in your heart, God says, that's the standard. How many of us are righteous? If it's about your heart, none. So we do the best we can. We lower the standard. We deceive ourselves into what it is to be righteous. We change it to, I'm doing the best I can. Ask yourselves or anybody else if God, you die today and you get to heaven's gates and somebody, whoever it is, Moses, Abraham, Jesus, you know, it says, why should I let you in? The predominant answer is going to be what? I was really trying and I did the best I could. Well, that's not good enough. That's not the standard. We've deceived ourselves into thinking that a lower standard is God's standard. We've deceived ourselves into thinking that a pursuit of righteousness, moving in the direction of righteousness, is righteousness. It's not. Or we decide what is good and what is right. And we work with those things. We decide where our purity line is. might not even be based on Scripture. We define what the uh, uh, finance line is. What, is. what is too much to have? How much should I give away? We define our business ethics. 
We decide what uh, too much anger looks like, what uh, too much lust looks like, and we draw the line and we say, what if I'm inside of those lines, then um, I'm righteous. If we can somehow live within our own bounds, we're like, okay, that's righteous. All these are self-deception. One of the big ones today is we get involved in global causes. Good causes. Social justice causes, race causes, poverty causes, adoption things, environmental things. And we think our involvement in those is even more righteous than what I do in my personal life because those things are transcendent, and they are. They're above any particular individual. So to be involved with those is to be righteous. And the righteousness in today's world gets even more stark even more stark, the the self-deception and the self-righteousness. Because if you're in this cause, then you're right. But if you're not in this cause, you are wrong. My world is the right world. My cause is the right cause. My side of the line is the right side of the line. We think that being involved in something bigger than ourselves, because it's transcendent, is God's righteousness. He's like, no, none of that. All of that is beneath God's design for what righteousness is. lying to ourselves we're deceived about what true righteousness is what our true condition is from God's perspective everyone suffers from self-deception we're all pretty well trapped in a performance grid and we're all pretty well self-deceived about What righteousness is, self-deception and performance are difficult to break out of, but we must. The Proverbs, uh, the writer says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. How shocking is that verse? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, because you say I'm rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you don't know that you are a wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked soul. That's pretty straightforward. And then, you know, Ben Franklin, you got to quote Ben Franklin. Who has deceived thee so often as thyself? Performance traps, self-deception. In all cases, we are unable to meet a standard. We're trying to meet the standard through performance. And if we can't meet the standard, we meet the standard through self-deception. Are you with me on that? You tracking? I'm at minus eight, so I think that means I have eight. Min- I think that means I have eight minutes left. I'm not exactly sure, but <clears throat> so here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap it up this morning, um, and we're going to talk next week about the two things that bring us into actual righteousness. And I'll give you this verse, and you can probably pick it out for yourself. Listen to this. This was the fourth verse that I didn't read in the first four. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. This verse right here explains what the law is there for. Helps us understand what it's not for. The law is not there 
or maybe better said, cannot actually produce God's righteousness in us. And the solution to righteousness, the solution for the unrighteousness of our heart is not zeal, not work, not all the things that we must and should do. It is belief. And that is a pill that is very hard to swallow. And it's why the Jews that Paul's talking to couldn't find their way because he was taking away the very thing that meant the most to them, their godly performance. Think about where your Christianity is if it has nothing to do with your performance. Think, A, how freeing that is. And then, two, think of how irresponsible that feels. That is ridiculous. Right? We got to talk about that. It comes in Romans 8. We would normally have read that by now, but we're going backwards. God, we need your help in understanding what it means to discover your righteousness in Christ through belief, not work. For now, God, we want to tell you that we know we can't reach it. We can't be all that you intend for us to be. Our hearts betray us. And we are grateful, thankful for the work your son did and the simple pathway of belief to find your approval. God, help us. Help us to understand. Help us in our ignorance. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to be the church you need us to be that brings peace and goodness and beauty to the world. Help us to be established in Christ. Jesus' name, amen.